Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Um, I don't think I've introduced myself yet. Hello. Good morning. I'm Peter. Um, I get to be the lead pastor here, and uh, it's just a joy and a privilege to worship with you and uh, to work with my colleagues here. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a real privilege. And so welcome to this community, especially if you're new or you're visiting. Uh, I think it's a pretty awesome community, and I'm glad that you are here. So welcome and a perfect day to be here because um, lunch and uh, dessert after, uh, afterwards. By the way, I mentioned this uh, last week. You know, we, um, we definitely will not judge you, but we will judge your desserts. <laughs> and so uh, that's happening after, after the worship service. Uh, this is sort of, you know, it's kind of funny. It's sort of weird, strange to me anyway, because I'm, I'm always... Uh, preaching on uh, the cross and Jesus' sacrificial death um, in that season leading up to Easter. Uh, we traditionally call that Lent. And uh, so I'm always preaching on the cross during Lent and the, uh, the death of Jesus. And then, of course, when we get to Easter Sunday, um, I'm almost often preaching on the resurrection for obvious reasons. And uh, and so it's been sort of interesting and fun and weird for me to be preaching on the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, I mean, August, and then here on Labor Day weekend, the first weekend in September, to be uh, preaching on his resurrection. So all of that to say, Happy Easter uh, to you. <laughs> and uh, because Jesus is alive, he is with us in the present. That's really the point of today's message. It's not complicated. Because Jesus is alive, he's with us in the present. Uh, Jesus is not only a historical and historical figure to remember and uh, to celebrate, although he is that, but not only that. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive, and because he's alive, he's present. He's with you. And he's inviting you into a living and active relationship with him today. That's this morning's whole message in a microcosm. Now, I'm going to pray and then do my best to spend 15 or 20 minutes talking more about what I just said. So let's pray. Living Lord Jesus, thank you that you are alive. That the grave had no power over you. That the darkness could not overcome the light. Thank you, Jesus, that because you are alive, you are with us, and you are inviting us into an active relationship today. That we can remember you as a historical figure, that we can celebrate you as this amazing God-man who lived in the Middle East 2,000 years ago, and you are more than a memory. You are a person who is alive, and by your Spirit, with us. Help us to enter in to a living relationship with you today. More and more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So these three uh, women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, uh, the mother of James, and Salome, they're headed to Jesus' tomb. It's very early on uh, Sunday morning, and they're heading there. Uh, the Sabbath is over, and so uh, they can do this work. They, they wouldn't do this kind of work on the Sabbath. And they were bringing spices to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus' body. Now, this was uh, a typical thing to do. This was a very practical thing to do. Because in the first century, tombs were often shared, unless you were very, very wealthy. And what that would mean is that uh, another person would soon be buried in that same tomb. And in order to, um, in order to make it tolerable to go into that tomb in the midst of decomposing bodies, literally, uh, people would anoint the dead. And they would do that uh, for those practical reasons. And so, uh, so they're heading to the tomb to do this, a very necessary and practical task. Um, they're also doing this as a way to honor Jesus. Um, over and over again, we see uh, these women and other women who are faithfully following Jesus. Um, it would seem also that when so many people, everybody perhaps, deserted Jesus, uh, there were women like Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome who, who stuck by his side. Uh, there was only one problem, I think, uh, with what was going on here, and that is that their grief, understandable as it is, uh, their grief was leading them to focus entirely on the past. Their grief had clouded their memory so much so uh, that it was their total lens through which they would remember things, through which they would perceive reality. And it would seem that although they were headed to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body, they were in fact, in a way, anointing their own grief. They were giving grief reign over their lives. And in their grief, they had lost entirely. They had lost sight of Jesus' promises. All they could remember was Jesus' death. Jesus died. And so they had no hope or no expectation that they would find anything other than Jesus' dead and decomposing body in his tomb. But I think what happened is their grief actually led to a kind of selective memory. Because they were not remembering the times when Jesus said over and over again, Jesus did not mince his words here. He would say things like recorded in Mark chapter 9. He would say things to them like, you know, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after three days he will rise. Jesus said this over and over again. Uh, like before the, or after the transfiguration, rather, uh, which happens a little bit earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus uh, told them not to tell anyone that what they had seen until after he rose from the dead. Right, so in his regular conversation with the disciples, which, which definitely included these women on a regular basis, his conversation with them, he would drop pretty heavy hints that indeed he is going to rise from the dead. But it seems that these women in their grief could, could not remember that. They couldn't remember the promises. Their grief had so clouded their memory. For them, it seemed that Jesus was dead, and that was the end of the story. 
So they make their way to the tomb, and on their way, they begin to ask one another, who's going to roll away that giant heavy stone that has been put in front of the entrance to the tomb? Their minds were focused on the barriers rather than the task at hand. Rather than being focused even on their mission, which was to anoint Jesus' body, their mind became focused on the barriers, the problems, the challenges. Who's going to roll away the stone? What are we going to do? And they were concerned about a problem that they didn't even have yet. Right? They hadn't even arrived to the tomb. And they just assumed that they would find this challenge, this barrier, this problem, that the tomb would still have the stone over the entrance. Will there be someone there who can help to roll it away? What if they can't get into the tomb? That stone is so big. And all that worry that they were experiencing was for a circumstance, was for a barrier that didn't even exist. Friends, what are the stones that you're worried about in your life? What barriers or challenges or problems are you worrying about today? I think it was the professor of New Testament, Edward Bosworth, who said first in the year 1910, whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever gets your attention gets you. And it seems like these women in this circumstance, what had captured their attention was the stone, the barrier, the problem, the challenge, and it got them. They were worried about it. This is the same thing that happened to the apostle Peter earlier in Jesus' life before he died on the cross. Uh, the, uh, Jesus invited the apostle Peter um, to take a step out of his boat and walk on the water. And you might remember that Jesus, or that Peter did that. That he was looking at Jesus. Jesus was also walking on the water. He was looking at Jesus, focused on Jesus. Peter actually stepped out of the boat onto the water and began walking on the water. Until what? Until his attention turned from Jesus to the waves. And as soon as his attention turned to the waves, he began to sink. Because whatever gets your attention gets you. And the waves got Peter that day. So what are the waves in your life that you're focused on? What are the stones that you're worried about today? So these three women, they finally arrive at the tomb only to discover that their worry was indeed not founded. They were worried about a problem that didn't even exist. The stone had already been moved away. And we're told that when they entered in the tomb, there's a young man dressed in lightning bright white, and he addresses them, and he says, do not be alarmed. You know, this is almost always what angels say to human beings when there's this kind of divine encounter. Do not be alarmed. Why do angels or young men dressed in lightning bright white, uh, why do they always say, do not be alarmed, do not be afraid? It's because it's scary. It's frightening. It's astounding. It's alarming. What is going on? This is not nor normal. This is supernatural. Did you know that that is the most common command in the Bible, do not be alarmed? I should have looked this up. Maybe you guys know this. Um, uh, I think there's like one for every day. Maybe you know this. There's like 360 or 365 commands uh, in the Bible all that say, do not be alarmed. Do not be 
afraid. Well, they were alarmed because this was so strange and divine and supranatural. Do not be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, and he's been raised. He's not here. Look, there's the place they laid him. You know, he's not there. I like how Luke's gospel account records this conversation. The angels say to the women there, they say, uh, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Tombs are the place of dead people. Jesus is not dead. Well, the women had come to the tomb to honor a dead man, and they were looking backwards. They were focused on the past, and the angel assured them, he's not here, but go. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I love that Peter is singled out. <clears throat> he needs a little extra help. Go and tell his disciples, and specifically Peter, that he... Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you hear that? Jesus is going ahead of you. You will see him. Pastor Eugene Peterson helped me see the promise in this text. You might be familiar with Eugene Peterson. He is the guy who um, translated um, the Message Bible. It's like a paraphrase of the Bible. It's become really popular he was a linguistics uh, language professor. And uh, in one of his books on pastoral ministry, it's called Under the Unpredictable Plant. Uh, he explains how this text, this thing here that Jesus says, or that the angel says rather, helped him tremendously when he would make difficult visits to parishioners, uh, people in his church, um, at the hospital or in their homes. And I'm going to quote Peterson. This is a long quote. I think it's worth it. Pastor Peterson says this, In every visit, every meeting I attend, every appointment I keep, I have been anticipated. The risen Christ got there ahead of me. The risen Christ is in that room already. What is he doing? What is he saying? What is going on? And in order to fix the implications of Mark chapter 16, verse 7, in my vocation, Peterson writes, I have taken to quoting it before every visit or meeting, saying to myself, he is risen, he's going before you to 1020 Emerton Road, there you will see him as he told you. Later in the day it will be, he is risen, he is going before you to St. Joseph's Hospital, there you will see him as he told you. And when I arrive and enter the room, I am not so much wondering what I am going to do or say that will be pastoral, as much as I am alert and observant for what the risen Christ has already been doing and saying that is making a gospel life out of this story right now. Isn't that good? And of course, Jesus is going ahead of you. This isn't just for pastors and deacons and people who visit folks in the hospital. This is true for teachers who walk into their classrooms this week for the first time after a long summer. This is true of homemakers who walk into their kitchen. This is true of mechanics who walk into their garage. This is true of friends who walk into other people's homes. This is true of CFOs who walk into boardrooms. This is true of parents who walk into their children's bedrooms. This is true of coaches who walk onto the field. Jesus is going before you, and he will be there just as he said he would. Now, I want you to think, I want us to do a little exercise here. I want you to think 
of maybe a particularly challenging or intimidating thing that is awaiting you this week or maybe this month. Maybe it's some decision that you have to make. Maybe it's an intimidating presentation you have to give or, or a difficult conversation, um, a scary scenario. Something challenging that is awaiting you this week. Are you thinking of it? If you don't have anything challenging awaiting you this week, um, talk to me after worship. I'd really love to figure out whatever you're doing. (laughs) Okay, you've got this in mind, right? I want you to repeat after me, okay? He is risen. He is going before me. There I will see him just as he told me. He is risen. He is going before me. There I will see him just as he told me. Do you believe yourself? So let me end with this. What does this mean for us? What are the implications for us? Just, well, there's lots, but let me highlight three. I've talked about them so far already. First of all, look to the promise. It's possible for us to give space to our grief as we should. It's possible for us to give space to our grief without our grief getting all of our attention and without us anointing our grief as our master. What gets your attention gets you. And so I want to invite you. I think this text invites us to pay attention to Jesus' promises. How might those three women have felt differently had they been a little more focused on Jesus' promises? Yes, he died. But why are you looking for the living among the dead? He had promised that he would be victorious over death. So focus, look to the promises. Secondly, look for Jesus. What is the Lord doing in your context before you get there? You you never bring Jesus into a conversation. You never bring Jesus into a room. He's already there. He's been doing his stuff long before you arrived. But you can enter into what Jesus has already started. And so when you walk into those difficult conversations, or when you enter into that challenging relationship, or when you enter into that boardroom, or whatever it is that is difficult or challenging or intimidating, You can remind yourself, he's risen, he's here, he got here before I did, and what is he up to? And how can I enter into that? So look for Jesus. So first of all, look for the promise. Look to the promise. Look for Jesus. And then third, enter into relationship with him. When I began, I said, you know, here really is this morning's entire sermon. Jesus is alive. And he's inviting you into a living relationship with him today. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's a present reality. And that's a reality we can enter into. He is a person with whom we can enter into relationship. You know, Jesus is not like your great, great, great grandma. She was a delightful woman. She really was. Uh, You've heard stories about her. 
Uh, you've seen pictures of her. Your great, great, great grandma is a past reality. Right? While you can appreciate who she was, while you can even um, perhaps see the indelible mark that she made on your family, you can't have a relationship with her. She's not here. But Jesus is here. He's a present reality. You can have a relationship with him that is active and engaging and in real time. You know, Jesus often cultivated relationship with people over meals. And even today, as we turn to this meal, as we turn to the communion table, this is a place where Jesus is cultivating a relationship with you, where he's inviting you in. He's saying, come to my table. Have a seat. Relax. Enjoy my presence. Enjoy this meal. Taste and see of the goodness of God. Be with me. We're going to celebrate this sacrament of communion, and we call it that, communion, because we are experiencing communion with God. Like, he is present here in a very real way. He's He's not literally in the bread. This really is just bread. He's not literally in the juice. It really is just grape juice. And yet he is here in a mysterious way by his Holy Spirit as we're gathered together. It's communion with him. And one of the reasons we don't celebrate communion um, by ourselves in our closets, but rather we celebrate communion together is because we get to do it together. It's communion with the body of Christ, with our brothers and sisters, with one another. And so we gather around this table as a community to experience communion with God and communion with one another and to enter into an engaging and interactive and real-time relationship with Jesus who is alive. Because when death stung Jesus, it stung itself to death. Death could not keep a hold of Jesus. He walked out of the tomb. And now he is alive and reigns and wants to be in a relationship with you. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons or to subscribe or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.